Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Reign in us today. Reign in each one of us with the power and wisdom of your Holy Spirit. As we read your word now, reign in our minds and our hearts for the glory of your only Son and our only Savior. Amen. Starting Mark chapter 14, we will see how the arrest, trial, and execution of Jesus unfolds. Today's passage, Mark chapter 14, verse 1 to 26, tells us about the anointing of Jesus and his last Passover celebration or first Lord's Supper with his disciples. Here we see diametrically opposite themes of a devotion and double-crossing. Yeah, devotion and double-crossing. That is the uh, a theme that we're going to look at today. So let me read and reflect the anointing of Jesus first, and then the next passage. Verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to each other, Why this waste of a perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I'll tell you, wherever gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let me repeat that. Truly, I'll tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Here, sandwiched by the scheming of Jewish religious leaders in verse 1 and 2, and the sneaky traitor Judas Iscariot in verse 10 and 11, an anonymous woman expressed her devotion to Jesus by anointing him with an expensive perfume of a pure nut, an import perfume from India. The cost of anointing of Jesus was more than a year's wages. That means it was most likely a life-saving since most 
Uh, ancient woman back then did not have a careers like a today's woman. For such a devotion, she was openly rebuked by none other than disciples of Jesus. Mark described their self-righteous anger in detail that some of them were saying indignantly and their rebuke to her was harsh. You know, disciples were more concerned about the customary performance of a Passover. That includes especially, you know, uh, helping the poor. The almsgiving is an extra point for Passover. While they're talking about this uh, customary social recognition, here is a woman who giving her very costly private devotion to Jesus which received the uh, social ire and anger from Jesus' own followers. The only one who understood her heart and validated her devotion was Jesus, who gave the greatest affirmation in verse 9. Truly, I'll tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Why did a wasteful anointing touch Jesus so much? By the way, disciples obeyed this command of Jesus and the all four Gospels recorded her story. And uh, once again, there are not many stories that all four Gospels recorded. This was one of them. We don't know her name, and but that's okay. Because it was not her name, but her deed that Jesus wants us to remember. Because here, her, de- I mean, her devotion describes the gospel, the very devotion of a Christ, our Savior, to us. Just like she wasted it more than years' wage, wages, Jesus wasted his life, the very life of eternal Son of God for us on the cross. As her life was excessive, Jesus' love for us was excessive, more than enough. As she was reckless and offensive in her devotion to Jesus, so was Jesus' love for us. Once again, her excessive love illustrates God's excessive love for us. Yes, God did not just love us, but God so loved, loved us that He gave His only begotten Son for us. Now let us ask ourselves, a question in light of this story. What was or is my lady's excessive, reckless, even offensive devotion for Christ? What have I done for Jesus that puzzled or even problematized people around me? With that, let's look at the next story that Mark wrote after describing the devotion of an unnamed woman. That's a Jesus' own uh, devotion to us by giving his own flesh and blood for us in the Holy Communion. Let, uh, let me read uh, uh, verse 12 to 26. On the first day of a festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice a Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make a preparation for you to eat the Passover? 
So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of a house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where I may eat with a Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make a preparation for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, found the things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I'll tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, but one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrayed the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of covenant, which is a poor out for many. He said to them, I uh, truly I'll tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. While they had a song a hymn, they went out to Mount of Olives. Here, we see the ultimate devotion of Jesus to us. At least, I said the ultimate devotion of Jesus to us. At least the woman who anointed Jesus extravagantly, she did that to Jesus, her Savior, who deserved every devotion from her. But Jesus gave his excessive extravagant devotion to his disciples, who among whom there was a traitor, and the rest of them were nothing but deserters very soon. Jesus gave a devotions, his devotion to those who did not deserve. That's what I meant, Jesus' devotion is the ultimate. Jesus loved us with a mercy. And someone said about mercy in this way, It is easy to see mercy for the powerless as a beautiful, as long as they have not done anything wrong, nor anything grating to our senses. We celebrate the mercies that look to us like a justice. But if, however subtly, we start thinking of a deserved mercy and undeserved mercy, we are no longer speaking of a mercy. Mercy means undeserved. The mercy that Jesus showed us in his last supper with the disciples is a truly amazing. Here Jesus gave his heartbroken warning over and over again to Judas Iscariot. First of all, he prearranged a private Passover celebration clandestinely with the owner of a house who sent out a man carrying a jar of water. 
That was unusual back then because usually it was a woman who, carried, who did that job. So although Judas Iscariot was looking for opportunity to betray him and Jesus was very well aware of it, Jesus still included him in the dinner and gave him his final warnings repeatedly. Look at the verse 18 and 20. Truly I'll tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And then it is one of the twelve, one who dips bread in the bowl with me. What? And then final, you know, final warning was, what to the man who betrays the Son of Man? It would be better for him if he had not been born. I bet here, Jesus' prophecy about Judas Iscariot was not a cold, uh, matter-of-fact, some kind of detached you know, prediction. But it was a heartbroken plea. It's like a heartbroken plea of a desperate father and mother for their wayward you know, a, a child. Perhaps the parents of a shooter in Nashville share this very sentiment right now. You know, they probably do. Do you guys have heard about the shooter at 20 years old? The very graduate of the same school. Emotionally, you know, and mentally uh, troubled. I, I can imagine the parents. I, 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 you know, I, the parents of the, of the victims, sure, they're going through hell right now. But what about the parents of the shooter? They probably, you know, say same thing that Jesus said here. It would be better for our child if she had not been born. Can you imagine? Truly, it was a demonic that Judas Iscariot pretended that he was not the one that Jesus was talking about and participated the whole meal, rejecting the final place of Jesus. You know, many have speculated about the reason for Judas' betrayal of Jesus. But none of the Gospels said anything more than actually the fact that the act was wicked and Judas Iscariot was influenced by demon, especially in the Gospel of John that said that demon and you know, Satan entered the uh, Judas Iscariot. Uh, great, you know, uh, early patristic scholar and the New Testament, you know, uh, scholar Larry Hutaro said this: Evangelists were uninterested in the reason for Judas' action. Their narration of Judas' betrayal mainly supplies the readers with a warning example from which they are to distinguish themselves by unbroken devotion and loyalty to Jesus. While the betrayal of Judas Iscariot was profoundly said in the Last Supper, that act also made the meal paradoxically beautiful. This passage is a foundational story of early churches and every church's central liturgical act, the Eucharist. The Holy Communion, which was intended to celebrate the unity of Christians with the Lord and with each other, included a traitor, 
let alone the deserters who did not follow Jesus faithfully. The Holy Communion, more than anything else, is a merciful, hopeful celebration because of Jesus' unconditional devotion to all of us. That's why we said that's what we celebrate and we are to consume in the Lord's you know, communion. That's what we do every week together when we break a bread together in the house church. We do love our house church and each other not because we are good and we deserve, but because the Lord in our table, in our house church, is a good and kind. So Holy Communion is a holy because Jesus accepted us and loved us and gave all of himself to all of us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough and praise you enough for your excessive, wasteful, unfathomable love for us. You pay the greatest price in the universe for our redemption. Truly, each one of us carries the greatest price tag that angels wonder and Satan envies the most. Who are we that you love us so much? Help us to love you and each other a little extra and little excessive today. Dear Holy Spirit, help us to remember every food we consume today is for us to love and love like Jesus. In the name of our most devoted Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.